0: All right, thank you guys for that. It's called the Song of Zechariah, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Is the Song of Zechariah. So if you've got a Bible, grab it and make your way to Luke chapter one. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one around you. We're going to be on page 555 and the ones that are sitting there around you. And what we kind of got before us today, uh, out of Luke chapter one, is is kind of like um, uh, out of a movie in a sense. So. If you go to the movies or you're in a movie or something, and so let's just talk about Lord of the Rings or Star Wars, what will happen a lot, of the time, a lot of times is there will be kind of multiple plot lines going along. And so you'll have a scene and it will be focused on Sam and Frodo for a minute and then it will flip and it will be focused on uh, Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli for a minute and then it will flip back. Or if you're in Star Wars, it's going to be focused on Kylo Ren talking to a deformed Darth Vader mask and then it's going to flip and it's going to be... Um, Han Solo and, and Chewbacca in the Millennium Falcon with, with Ray and Finn, and then it might flip back. And that's what kind of what we've got going in the first chapter of Luke. Uh, from verses 5 to 25, they're focused in on talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth and how the Lord was working in their lives and their coming son, uh, who's going to be born, John the Baptist. And then verses 26 through 66 it flips over and starts talking primarily about Mary and Joseph. And there's a little overlap with Elizabeth and Zechariah, but primarily Mary and and Joseph and and Jesus coming. And then in verse 67, it flips back to talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth and not just saying John the Baptist is going to come, but actually seeing John being born and and, and then Zechariah bursting forth in song. And so what we're going to do today is just really follow that storyline, the, the Zechariah and Elizabeth one. So the interlude of Mary and Joseph, we'll pick that up next week. And so today we're going to just do 5 through 25, then skip over to 67 through 80 and just track that one storyline. And we'll pick back up with the interlude next week uh, where, with, with Mary and Joseph. <clears throat> and so what we've got here when we get to verse 67 is we've got this song. Zechariah's song. And and so, like John mentioned a a few minutes ago, one of the things about Luke is that in the first two chapters of the book of Luke, uh, he records four, I guess the four original Christmas carols. And the first four that were ever written. And so next week we're going to be talking about, um, well, uh, let me just say this, three of them we're going to focus in on over the next three weeks and just kind of frame what we're talking about with the infancy of Jesus uh, around those three main Christmas carols. And they're called the Magnificat, the Benedictus, and the Nunc Dimittis. And so if you've got a Baptist background, you have no idea what I'm talking about. If you've got a Catholic background, you're like, yeah, give me some Latin up in here. You're kind of loving the fact that I just threw some Latin, and you know maybe what I'm talking about. But the Benedictus, that's the one that we've got before us today. And the reason it's called the Benedictus is because In the Latin Vulgate, which is the translation used for millennia, um, in the Latin Vulgate, the beginning of this section in verse 68, reads like this, Benedictus Dominus Deus Israel. And so Benedictus, that's how it begins, and it means blessed be. It means praise be unto. And so that's where the name comes from, the Benedictus. Okay, blessed be, praise be. And that's really all I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to give you four reasons, and there's a gazillion, there's infinite reasons for us to praise the Lord and, and, and declare Him blessed, but four reasons in particular out of this text that Zechariah uh, prophesies and, and, and sings. And so if you'll flip to uh, verse 67, we'll pick it up right there. We're going to read one verse and then we'll talk and then we'll read some more. And so, verse 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, All right. And so, I want to stop right there, real quick, because I want to make sure we kind of get back in our minds what Pastor John read just a few minutes ago, uh, as well as what Christy read just a few minutes ago. And so, what you've got, Zechariah, he is an old, old, old man. All right. He's an old man, and he gets randomly, God's sovereign, randomly, quote-unquote, selected to go into the temple and burn incense before the Lord. And when he goes in there, he has a vision and he sees an angel. And this angel tells him that God is going to answer his prayer, this prayer that he has been praying for decades and decades and decades to have a child. God's going to give him a child. He's going to give him a son. And not only is he going to give him a son, but this son will be one of the greatest Uh, meant Jesus says he's the greatest man to have ever been born all right he's going to be John the Baptist and he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah and so Zechariah upon excuse me hearing this news just being the amazingly excuse me just being the amazingly devout guy that he is hears this news and he's (laughs) he says this is impossible how am i supposed to believe you that this is actually going to happen now follow me church who's he talking to an angel right and still he's like i need a sign you're talking to an angel here's your sign right that's right so he needs he needs you know he's talking about he's talking to an angel and so gabriel hears this and gabriel's like please you little peon i stand in the presence of god And so for your lack of faith, and to give you a little bit of time to reflect on all this, no more talking and no more hearing for nine months. And so to make a long story short, here we go, his son has now been born, these nine months have passed, Zechariah's faculties of speech and and hearing have been returned, and immediately after nine months of silence, he immediately just bursts forth with praise with praise and it, and it's he talks about thank you he talks about his own son but this song that he sings is not centered on his son it does mention him it's centered on God's son and what God's coming to do through him and so number 1 here we go look at verse 68 women Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And so the first thing we're talking about today, all these praise God for this, praise God. The first one is praise God for his redemption. Praise God for redemption. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of of his servant David. Now, one of the first things you'll notice if you read this closely at all is what tense are those verbs in? They're in the past tense. Has Jesus been born yet? No. Jesus is still, still a couple of months before Jesus has been born, but this, he's prophesying in the past tense. He's been, it tells us verse 67, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies and he prophesies in what's called the prophetic past tense, that it's As good as done, it's going to happen. And so Zechariah is saying this is going to happen, so much so that I'm going to talk about it in the past tense, and for us it has happened. Jesus has come. For Zechariah, he's going to come, but for us he has come, and he has brought redemption. Right? And all this is like the Christmas, I mean, we're reading Christmas story. We're talking about the Christmas story for the next couple of weeks. And the central message of the Christmas story is this. That redemption has come. I mean, for unto us is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior. That's the story. A Savior has come. He is Christ the Lord. And he's come to do what? To save. To redeem. Redemption. To redeem. To rescue. Who? Sinners. Like me. Now, like every single one of you in this room and on this planet, we're all sinners. And so Jesus, like he, 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 he did not come to hang out with hypocr- hypocritical, self-righteous religious folk. All right. Those are the people he condemned and was continuously going off on. The people that he came to say, he came to seek and save the law. So look at the people who are his followers prostitutes, thieves, tax collectors, right? That's who he's with. Liars, fishermen who are kind of one in the same usually, but all these people. He was this big, right? That's who he came to hang out with. And this is good news for us because it means it does not matter your background. It does not matter how you're raised. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've done. It only matters what Jesus did. His life of sinlessness in the place of your life of sinfulness. His undeserved death paying the penalty for sin in the place of your deserved death for the penalty of sin. And His resurrection and power and victory over sin and death so that you could be given forgiveness and eternal life with God. Jesus has brought redemption. He has ransomed people his people, with his own blood. But by and large, the people of Zechariah's day weren't looking for this. They wanted a political savior. They wanted a good economy. They wanted conservative leadership. They wanted lower taxes. That's the salvation that they longed for. That's what they had set their lives on. That's what will make everything right if we can just get a political savior. And since Jesus wasn't that, they crucified him. And so listen, I think we're all pretty, we're all pretty smart folks in here. I think we're all smart enough to kind of connect the dots on the similarities of what they wanted there with a the political savior with what's going on in the world today and has been for, for a long time. But I think what happens sometimes, like we can connect those dots, but what I think happens sometimes is, is we become like the Pharisee uh, with uh, the publican and we beat our chest and we say, thank God I'm not like those folks who set their hope in a political savior all the while we're still setting our hope in our own personal circumstantial savior. It's just not political. So we'll, we'll set our hope. The salvation that we want is I want salvation from this difficulty I want salvation from a financial situation. I want salvation from these circumstances of my life. I want salvation from a lousy marriage. I want salvation from a health issue. And of course, God's able to handle those things. And we should pray to Him for His help. But the first thing He's got to deal with is our sin. Like what we need most is deliverance from the power of our spiritual enemies, sin and the forces of darkness so that we might escape the wrath of God. That's the primary need we have. That's the primary salvation we need. And that's what Jesus came to do. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And He's done it in a mighty way. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David this horn of salvation, this idea here is, is, is might and power. Like it's not a musical horn. It's not a cornucopia horn that we always had to draw at Log Elementary School every Thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's the horn of a, of an, of a wild ox, of a wild buffalo, like lifting up the, the horn in the Old Testament. It's like throwing your horns in the air and, and showing your power and showing your might and just kind of, standing there and displaying, just kind of flexing in your strength. So how how many of you have ever been to like Yellowstone, way out west, or Custer State Park out in South Dakota? I've got a couple of of folks. Uh, I've been to both. My brother lived in Rapid City, South Dakota, so I've been to Custer. Sarah and I went there, and I've been to Yellowstone twice, once in the summer, once in the winter, Uh, just me and my dad. It was before they stopped allowing snowmobiling in the park, and so that was pretty neat little trip, but one of the things, that, and just to get the idea of Yellowstone, how big it is, it's bigger than the state of Rhode Island, so it is a huge, huge area, and when you go out there, or you're in Cush, whatever it is, and you see signs warning you of danger, the signs that are set, like warning you, it's not about watch out for the grizzlies, watch out for the wolves, watch out for the mountain lions, it's watch out for the bison. Like They are what kill and maim and gore and hurt more people than anything else in in those parks. And what is so fearsome on them? Their horns. These giant, powerful, strong, and dangerous horns. That's the analogy that the Old Testament is using and Zechariah is picking up on saying that's Jesus. Jesus is not some wuss dude in a dress who got beat up. He is a powerful horn of salvation. Like, as a dude who's been chased by a cow, I can tell you that the business end of those animals is their horn, okay? Similarly, the business end of God's salvation is Jesus. He's mighty to save. He's powerful to save. And so number one, we praise God for redemption. Jesus has come and in his might, he has saved us from ourselves, from our sin, from the wrath of God coming upon us, from death, from Satan, from de- he saved us in his power. That's number one. Praise God for redemption. Number two, closely connected, praise God for keeping his promises. Praise God for keeping his promises. What he said he would do, he's done. He said he was going to do it, and he's done it. Look at verse 70. Speaking of this horn of salvation, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. Notice he, he's already mentioned David, verse 69. Now he picks up on Abraham the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so we're praising God for keeping his promises. What Zechariah is saying here in this section is that God has kept his promise. All right, He's done it. And that that promise was Jesus. All these promises, all the promises of the Old Testament that he's just kind of laying out through this whole section, all of these promises are rolled up in point two or foreshadowed and are fulfilled in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. So he's the fulfillment of verse 70, the, 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 prophe- the, the, the prophecies of old. He's the fulfillment of the covenant and the oaths sworn to David and further back sworn to Abraham. He's the fulfillment of what God has been doing all along. Jesus is the hero of the story. This is when, you, when, you, when you look at the whole story of the Bible, I mean, we hammered this last year when we were in the book of Genesis. When you look at the whole story of the Bible, of the Bible. It is not 66 disconnected bi- little books with 66 different little morality tales about this character and this character and be like this guy because he's really good and this guy and this guy. No, no, it's a story about Jesus. It's a cosmic story of beginning, middle, new beginning. It's a story of creation, fall, redemption, and this ultimate restoration where God created all things and it was beautiful and he did it of his own power of his own wishes of his own desires and he created out of nothing all right and then man rebelled against God fractured that broke this beautiful creation that God had created and so now we have a broken relationship with God we have a broken relationship with each other and we have a broken relationship with the world And if you doubt that, just look at how we treat God, how we treat each other, and how we treat the world. So we've got creation, we've got fall, and then the whole rest of the Bible is just laying out redemption, laying out redemption. And so we spoke of Abraham, God shows up, Genesis 12, to this Iraqi pagan Gentile idol worshiper named Abram and says, I'm going to start this whole thing. This world's broken. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to start with you. And I'm starting with you so that I can get all the glory. And I'm going to change you. And I'm going to make you Abraham. And out of you, I'm going to raise up a people. And out of that people, I'm going to raise up a Messiah. And through that Messiah, I'm going to bless all the people of the earth and offer salvation to all who would believe. And then the whole rest of the Old Testament is just kind of laying that out. Laying that out with more prophecies and more pictures and more promises and more covenants. And Zechariah's picking up here and he's saying, Listen, here's the deal. It's time. It's time. The virgin's pregnant. My boy John is the forerunner. All of these things are happening. What the prophets of old have spoken of to David and Abraham and all these promises to show mercy uh, to our fathers, all of these things, it's time. It's happening. All that He said He was going to do, God is doing. He's keeping His promises. He's doing exactly what He said He would do all along. So Jesus has come and He's brought redemption. And He's going to come again and He's going to bring restoration and all the sad things will come untrue. This is who our God is. He is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. And so listen, I like just bring this down. I don't know what your particular situation in life is right now. And I don't need to, because I know what God's particular situation in eternity is. And his situation is that he keeps his promises Always. Always. What he says in his word, he will do. So whatever is going on in your life, you know this. God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. And even in the trials and heartaches and hardships and suffering that may, will befall you in this life. Jesus said, there. You know, in this life there are many uh, difficulties. I have hope I've overcome the world, right? Will befall you. God's still for you in them. If you ever doubt that, look at the cross. God would have not sent Jesus to the cross if he wasn't for you. He would not have slaughtered his son if he wasn't for you. That's how much he's for you. He will keep his promises. We may fail him, he will not fail us. We may be unfaithful to him, but he will not be unfaithful to us. What he says, he will do. What he promises, you can count on, he keeps his promises. And so number one, we praise God for the redemption. We praise God that he keeps his promises. And number three, we praise God for his tender mercy. Look at verse 76. And you, child. Alright. So now he's starting to talk about John the Baptist, alright? He's talking about his son John here. And you, child. All right now. Listen, we can't just read this and just keep going. We need to put ourselves in the situation here because imagine the emotion of Zechariah right here. Like we just read this, and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins. But imagine the emotion of Zechariah here. For over 400 years, there's been no word from God. People are wondering, is he going to keep his promises or not? Where is God in all of this silence? What's going on? We've been taken over by the Roman Empire. What's up with all that? Where is God in all of this stuff? Silence, silence, silence. And then all of a sudden, Zechariah's in the temple and an angel shows up. Silence is broken and tells him, hey, you're going to have a son, the one that you've been praying for for decades and decades and decades and decades and in your infertility, and in the pain, and the hardship, and the difficulty that that, that, that is, God's going to answer that prayer, and He's going to give you a child, and He's going to give you a son, but not only is He going to give you a son, He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. All that's been promised, it's about to happen, Zechariah. So Zechariah, like, under the weight of this, right, and he also gets his faculties of speech and hearing taken away. And now he can speak again, and he's There's no way Zechariah just kind of calmly stated these things about his own son. There's no way he didn't just slobber and snot everywhere, cry his way like I did when we read the dedication letter for Eden. There's no way he didn't go through it like that. Just halting and and trying to grab composure Just emotionally reading, and and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the reason that we have redemption, the reason that God keeps His promises is verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God. It's because of His tender mercy towards us that he does this. And and when you mine this down in, in the in the Greek, that phrase tender mercy is splankna elios. And what it means splankna is referring to like deep down, um, in the middle, in the center, on the inside. Sometimes it's actually translated bowels. So it's like it's deep seated. And then Elias is just mercy. It's it's merciful. And so he's, he's saying at the very core, in the depth of who God is, down deep in him like at the bottom of his heart is a deep-seated desire for doing good. is a deep-seated feeling of mercy, a deep-seated attitude of compassion that causes God to show favor to wicked sinners like me and like you. Even though we deserve hell. That's the tender mercy of our God. And so praise God that life's not fair. Because if life was fair and we got what we deserved, it's a pretty bleak picture. As a matter of fact, it's a picture that he paints here uh, in verse 78. He says, Because of the tender mercy of our God, and then here's the picture, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the picture here is, is a picture of being lost in the desert in the middle of the night. And so think of a caravan, not the brown bomber that we drive, but like a Bedouin caravan of camels, you know, going through the going through the desert. And one guy in the middle of the night gets separated and he's off on his own. All alone, middle of the night, right? And there's no light from the moon. It's completely black. So it's like a show from several years ago, I Shouldn't Be Alive, a new show on the Discovery Channel. It's that type of situation. Here he is, middle of the night, no food, no light, no fire, middle of the desert, no water, no ability to see anything, sand is everywhere, and there are sounds. He hears a slither in the sound, he, he hears A footprint, a a, a footfall, or a a paw hit the sound. He hears a low growl in the darkness, and he can see nothing. Like there's no sky glow coming because there is no, there are no big cities. It's pitch black. And so imagine the utter hopelessness, and fear, and despair that would befall you. But then a faint change starts in the east and a wisp of light just begins and it starts growing brighter and brighter and the light shines into the darkness your salvation has appeared and at the dawn of the day the king james renders it at dayspring all right at dayspring hope is there and the picture that's jesus Jesus is the light that comes over the dawn and shines into the darkness and brings salvation. We are the people who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And he comes to us. He's the sunrise from on high. He brings light into the world. He's the fulfillment of Malachi 4.2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. He's the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Revelation 22, John 8, 12. Jesus says of himself, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is this sunrise from on high that brings hope to our hopeless situations. And why? Because of his tender mercy. Because of his love towards us, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, of shalom, that ultimate restoration. When Jesus comes again and makes all that's gone wrong right again. And so praise God for our redemption. Praise God that He keeps His promises. Praise God for His tender mercy towards us. And then there's one more thing I want us to notice out of this that's not like a a specific thing that I can point to in the text. It's kind of something that's up over the entire story of Zechariah. And it's this. Praise God for His loving discipline. Praise God for His loving discipline. And so, like, you go back to the beginning of this the the story, and Zechariah is deaf and he's mute. Right? Why? Why is he deaf and mute? Because he refused to believe the good news from Gabriel that he's going to have a son. And so God gave Zechariah nine months of silence to brood and ponder and pray and meditate on, on, on the Bible, right? the Old Testament. That's what he had. And so silence was God's rebuke to him. And that's something that God does, rebuke. But it's always a mercy when God rebukes us. It's always a mercy. It's not from a vindictive God who wants to get us. It's from a loving, tender heart, tender mercy God who wants to lead us. Jared Wilson puts it like this. He said, God knows that we will skip and whistle right off the cliff if he does not smack us with his shepherd's staff. We'll just skip and whistle right off that cliff. But in love, He smacks us with the shepherd's staff to make sure we don't go off the cliff. Right? In, in love and for our joy, He takes a thing and pops us so that He saves us. So that He prevents us from going off the cliff to our demise. He does this because He knows that our hearts will never find ultimate happiness unless they find it in Him. Not in good gifts He gives, not in circumstances, and we will have our circumstantial Savior, but in Him. And so He'll smack us to keep us from going off the cliff. Lovingly He does this. Not to take joy from us, but to lead us into it. And so like a surgeon, He'll cut us to heal us. He'll break our fingers to get us to let go of the thing that's robbing us. So Zechariah has got these nine months of silence. Nine months of being alone with his own thoughts and God's word. And after these nine months, when his speech is restored, what is the first thing out of his mouth? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Do you see that? God's rebuke has turned into Zechariah's joy. He's taken the rebuke and he's turned it into a reward. He's worked in his life, changed him, made him a new person, right? made him, like worked in his heart and rearranged his priorities and opened his eyes up to the glory of who God is, not circumstantial deliverance. So in the end what Zechariah winds up doing is that despite it turning out completely different than he would have ever expected or hoped for or planned he still at the end of these 9 months declares in the midst of all that God's good and God's merciful and he is right and all that he says is true and he saves and he delivers people that are in dark places he extends hope He extends mercy. He gives life to those who seek it. And again, what's so profound is that this, like his life, is not the way he envisioned it going. As a young man, he thinks, man, I'm going to have all these sons. I'm going to have all these kids. I'm faithful to God. Surely he's going to reward me with this big bunch of kids. But it doesn't happen that way at all. He goes for decades and decades and decades of begging on his knees, with his wife, in their struggles with infertility, to give me a child. God, please, give me a child. And for like for years, and decades, and decades, and decades, the answer is always no. And then he finally, as an elderly man, gets a child, a child that he's not going to be able to see uh, grow up because he's old and going to die. He gets stricken with deafness and with an inability to speak for nine months and how does this rebuke end like how does this all end how does all of this difficulty and all of this suffering and all of this frustration how does it end it ends in his rejoicing that God's not against him he's not after him he's not being vindictive towards him He's lovingly disciplining him for his good to prevent him from going off the cliff, smacking him, opening his eyes to the reality of God's greatness, God's love. turns the rebuke into a reward. And so, folks, could it be, could it be that some of our hardships in our lives are not due to God's anger with us, but His love towards us. And He lets us go through things to get our attention, to open our eyes, to change us. Jared Wilson again. In times of ease, God whispers. In times of pain, He's shouting to us rousing us to turn our attention to Him. And so turn your eyes to Him. Press into Him and find that you're hurt and that your wound is a wound of grace. And You may limp from it for the rest of your life, but it is a wound of grace. Eden has a giant scar down the middle of her chest because a doctor cut her to save her life. God does that in our lives. He's a great physician. And he does. it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have sent Jesus into this world and he has come to bring redemption. And that you are a promise keeping, covenant keeping God. And you have a tender, you have tender mercy towards your children. But I pray that you would press those truths home into our hearts, that we would go home rejoicing in that. Rejoicing that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Saying in our hearts, even in the midst of circumstances and difficulties and trials and maybe rebukes that we don't fully understand at this moment, still, blessed be the Lord God. Of Israel. For you are good. You are right. You are sovereign. You are wise. You know the beginning from the end. And if we knew what you know, if we knew where this is going like you know where this is going, we wouldn't fret. We wouldn't worry. We would hold our Father's hand. We are helpless. People.